Welcome to the FC Podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor, and in this episode, we look at five quotes from Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land. For those who somehow don't know, Barack Obama is the former president of the United States of America. Of course, you would know this, but I make the habit to give context to every person I mention in these podcasts. It probably comes from my experience of reading autobiographies and the author recounting stories about people they expect you to know, and you don't. I remember feeling this way about Alex Ferguson's autobiography and not knowing half the people he was talking about. The stories lose their value without context. So back to Barack Obama. You see what I did there? You thought I'd skip telling you about Alex Ferguson, didn't you? I wouldn't do it. Alex Ferguson is a legendary Scottish football manager. He managed Scotland, Aberdeen and Manchester United. He is considered the greatest football manager of all time by some. Back to Barack Obama and his book, A Promised Land. Barack Obama was the 44th President of the United States of America, elected in November 2008. He served two terms before stepping down in 2016. He wrote two books before this one, Dreams from My Father and The Audacity of Hope. He was the recipient of the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize. He is also one of the most inspiring humans on the planet. My first memory of Barack Obama was when he walked onto the stage at the Democratic National Convention in Boston and gave the keynote address as the Illinois State Senator, a relative unknown He captivated the country and the world. It's the hope of slaves sitting around a fire singing freedom songs. The hope of immigrants setting out for distant shores. The hope of a young naval lieutenant bravely patrolling the Mekong Delta. The hope of a mill worker's son who dares to defy the odds. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him too. Four years later, I was even more inspired when Barack Obama stood for election as president in 2008 and shared his vision for his community. While many people would see this as a failure, losing the Democratic primary nomination in New Hampshire, it would later be seen as the catalyst for his success when he lifted a nation with his concession speech, emblazoning this creed into the soul of America. Yes, we can. When we've been told we're not ready, or that we shouldn't try, or that we can't, generations of Americans have responded with a simple creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. It was a creed written into the founding documents that declared the destiny of a nation. Yes, we can. It was whispered by slaves and abolitionists as they blazed a trail towards freedom through the darkest of nights. Yes, we can. It was sung by immigrants as they struck out from distant shores and pioneers who pushed westward against an unforgiving wilderness. Yes, we can. 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 Yes, we can
It was the call of workers who organized, women who reached for the ballot, a president who chose the moon as our new frontier, and a king who took us to the mountaintop and pointed the way to the promised land. Yes, we can to justice and equality. I still get a tingle down my spine when I listen to these words. Barack Obama went on to win the presidency and his re-election, serving two terms. In my eyes, he was the most inspiring world leader of my lifetime. History will measure him to the likes of world leaders like Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, and John F. Kennedy. After his two terms as president, Obama wrote his book, A Promised Land. It is his story, growing up in the United States, studying, meeting his wife, Michelle Obama, becoming a community activist, then a senator, and ultimately the president of the United States of America. What an amazing story. So many lessons to learn, so much inspiration and motivation. Yet my goal after reading this book was to pick only five quotes, five quotes that spoke to me more than any other. I promise you, it was extremely hard. I even entertained the idea of saying it was the equivalent of two books, so I was going to select ten quotes. Instead, I chose to honour my aspiration of five quotes, and I'm glad I did. The first quote I have chosen is about empathy where Obama shares some of the wisdom his mother bestowed on him as a child. This quote provides a great insight into Barack Obama's upbringing. It also demonstrates how powerful it can be when a parent holds their children to account. I also chose this quote because I now often find myself asking at moments of decision-making, okay, Stuart, what type of person do you want to be? Once, when she discovered I had been part of a group that was teasing a kid at school, she sat me down in front of her, lips pursed with disappointment. You know, Barry, she said, that's the nickname that she and my grandparents used for me when I was growing up, often shortened to Bear. There are people in the world who think only about themselves. They don't care what happens to other people so long as they get what they want. They put other people down to make themselves feel important. Then there are people who do the opposite were able to imagine how others must feel and make sure that they don't do things that hurt people. So, she said, looking at me squarely in the eye, which kind of person do you want to be? I felt lousy. As she intended it to, her question stayed with me for a long time. The next quote is the shortest I've selected in any Five Quotes podcast. It is also one of my favorites. It has helped me on many occasions to reset and reshape my mindset. Enthusiasm makes up for a host of deficiencies, I tell my daughters. And at least that was true for me at Harvard. Failure is a reality we all face. It is hard to accept, but it is an essential part of success, particularly when the immediate consequence of failure seems to overshadow the long-term benefits towards achieving success. In a promised land... Obama shares the moment he gave the executive order to send soldiers into harm's way to try and capture and kill the terrorist, Osama bin Laden. I found this powerful because the potential of failure was so real. 
yet the process he follows is the same for all decisions. I watched Kobe Bryant launch a turnaround jumper in the paint. The Lakers were playing the Hornets on their way to wrapping up the first round of the playoffs. The grandfather clock ticked from its spot against the treaty room wall. Over the past two years, I'd made countless decisions. On the faltering banks, on Chrysler, pirates, Afghanistan, healthcare. They had left me familiar with, if never casual about, the possibilities of failure. Everything I did or had done involved working the odds, quietly and often late at night, in the room where I now sat. I knew that I could not have come up with a better process to evaluate those odds or surrounded myself with a better mix of people to help me weigh them. I realized that through all the mistakes I'd made and the jams I'd had to extract us from, I had in many ways been training for exactly this moment. And while I couldn't guarantee the outcome of my decision, I was fully prepared and fully confident in making it. The next two quotes are not Obama's words, but values he found in others, and they are powerful. The first is from the testimony of Mike Mullen about the US military's don't ask, don't tell policy. Mullen was the highest ranked officer in the United States Navy before being appointed the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in 2007 the highest-ranked and most senior military officer in the United States Armed Forces. Mullen was called to give evidence on the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. This policy allowed homosexuals to serve in the armed forces only if they didn't tell anyone they were gay. Effectively, the policy was, you can't be gay, but if we don't ask you and you don't tell us, then we'll pretend that you aren't. It was a compromise established by a former president, Bill Clinton, who was eager to change the previous policy that actively banned homosexuals from the military. In that way, it was a massive step forward, but ultimately it still created a stigma for homosexuals who wanted to serve their country. The United States Congress was considering repealing the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy but there was still significant opposition to the potential change. As it stood, if a soldier made a public statement that he or she was gay, they would be dismissed. It was discriminatory and unfair. People were calling for change, but change seemed a long way off. Mullen made a very courageous decision to stand up for the rights of others at the risk of his own personal and professional reputation. Not many people would have done that. In fact, no one in his position had ever done it. It was inspiring and the catalyst for change and a step closer to a more cohesive and inclusive community. But it was Mike Mullen's testimony before the committee that same day that really made news, as he became the first sitting senior U.S. military leader in history to publicly argue that LGBTQ persons should be allowed to openly serve. Mr. Chairman, he said, speaking for myself and myself only, it is my personal belief that allowing gays and lesbians to serve openly would be the right thing to do. No matter how I look at this issue, I cannot escape being troubled by the fact that we have in place a policy which forces young men and women to lie about who they are in order to defend their fellow citizens. For me personally, it comes down to integrity, theirs as individuals, and ours as an institution. Nobody in the White House had coordinated with Mullen on the statement, 
I'm not even sure that Gates had known ahead of time what Mullen planned to say. But his unequivocal statement immediately shifted the public debate and created important political cover for fence-sitting senators, who could then feel justified in embracing the repeal. The next and last quote is without question my favorite. I love it because we all have been in a situation in our lives where an opportunity has presented itself and we haven't felt ready. We haven't felt as though we are good enough or that others see us as good enough. When Barack Obama was deciding to run for the presidency, he met with Ted Kennedy, one of the longest serving US senators and the cornerstone of the Democratic Party. Kennedy lived through the assassination of his two brothers, former President John F. Kennedy and former Senator Robert Kennedy, who was running for president at the time and highly likely to be elected. By all measures, Ted Kennedy was a powerful and inspiring leader. He died in 2009 with Obama speaking at his funeral as the president. But before deciding to run, Obama spoke to Kennedy about his idea weighing up whether the time was right. What Kennedy said, in my view, were some of the most powerful words ever spoken about taking your chances in life. But I can tell you this, Brock. The power to inspire is rare. Moments like this are rare. You think you might not be ready, that you'll do it at a more convenient time. But you don't choose the time. The time chooses you. Either you seize what may turn out to be the only chance you have, or you decide you're willing to live with the knowledge that the chance has passed you by. Barack Obama is one of the most inspiring people of this century. He has a powerful presence, an unrelenting resolve, unwavering values, and unbreakable integrity. This book captures an incredible journey of an even greater man. I have read it and I've listened to it as an audiobook. Each medium was so rewarding, and its ideals will stay with me. The five quotes I have chosen have explored ideas such as empathy, enthusiasm, failure, strength, and courage, but the book explores so much more. I would recommend you take the time to learn from one of the greatest leaders of all time. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the FC podcast, Five Quotes, A Promised Land. My name is Stuart Taylor. Now go and change the world. Someone has to. Why not you?